2 Chronicles chapter 28 and verse 23, speaking of Ahaz, says, For he sacrificed unto the gods of Damascus, which smote him, and he said, Because the gods of the kings of Syria helped me, therefore will I sacrifice to them, that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him and of all Israel. Title this morning is The Ruin of Him. The Ruin of Him. The passages that we're going to be reading that are connected, um, 2 Kings chapter 16 and 2 Chronicles chapter 28. Let me give you an overview of what we're about to read. Okay. The there were some enemies coming against Judah, and when they came, they didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to handle it. So King Ahaz thought it was going to be right for him to bribe and pay for protection from the Assyrians. So the Assyrians come to protect them, and while he's over giving giving a thankful a thanks to the to the king of Assyria, he sees the gods that they worship. And when he sees the gods they worship and how strong they are, he says, wow, I need to serve those gods. So he has those things made in the temple. The things in the temple, specifically the brazen altar, moved out of the temple. And now he thinks those things are going to be a help to him. But we just read it was his ruin. So let's read these two passages. Now that you know in your head what you're about to read, let's read them. 2 Kings chapter 16. In the seventeenth year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. So again, the him is Ahaz. Twenty years old was Ahaz when he began to reign, and reigned sixteen years in Jerusalem. It did not that which is right in the sight of the Lord his God, like David his father. Turning my page here, sticking. But walked in the way of the kings of Israel, yea, and made his son to pass through the fire according to the abominations of the heathen, whom the Lord cast out from before the children of Israel. And he sacrificed and burnt incense in the high places, and on the hills and under every green tree. Then Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, came up to war to Jerusalem, to Jerusalem to war. So Syria and Israel, the northern kingdom, are coming against Judah. And they besieged Ahaz, but could not overcome him. At that time, Rezin, king of Syria, recovered Elath to Syria and drove the Jews out of Elath, And the Assyrians came to Elith and dwelt there unto this day. So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pilazar, king of Syria. You might recognize that name from when we were studying the book of Nahum. He was the king at that time. Saying, I am thy servant and thy son. Come up and save me out of the hand of the king of Syria and out of the hand of the king of Israel, which rise up against me. And Ahaz took the silver and gold that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house and sent it for a present to the king of Syria. Come help me, here's some stuff. And the king of Assyria 
hearken unto him, for the king of Assyria went up against Damascus and took it and carried the people of it captive to Ker and slew Rezin. And King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Tiglath-Pelizar, king of Assyria, and saw an altar that was at Damascus. And King Ahaz sent to Uriah the priest to uh, the fashion of the altar, the, the design of it. This is what it looked like. This is what it is. And the pattern of it, according to all the workmanship thereof. And Uriah the priest built an altar according to all that King Ahaz had sent from Damascus. So Uriah the priest made it against King Ahaz came from Damascus. So he made it before he came down. And when the king was come from Damascus, the king saw the altar, and the king approached the, to the altar and offered thereon. And he burnt his burnt offering and his meat offering and poured out his drink offering and sprinkled the blood of his peace offerings upon the, the altar. Well, all, all those offerings were designed by God and spoken of to be done before the brazen altar. And the brazen altar is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ at Calvary suffering the wrath of God for his people. So instead of relying on this testimony of Messiah and how that he would save his people from their sins, his assurances of salvation and his assurances of religion were now upon this false altar. He, in verse 14, and he brought also the brazen altar, which was before the Lord, from the forefront of the house. Okay, so the, the, the forefront of the testimony, the forefront of the, of the, in the very front thing there of the temple, the brazen altar was there. And, and we, we should know immediately because it was there in the forefront that the gospel, Christ's suffering for his people, should be at the forefront of worship in every occasion, specifically in the Lord's house, his, the sufferings of Christ. But what he did is he took it from the forefront, you see, in the house, from between the altar and the house of the Lord, and put it on the north side of the altar, moved it. And King Ahaz commanded Uriah the priest, saying, Upon the great altar burn the morning and all uh, burnt offering and the evening meat offering and the king's and the king's burnt incense and his meat offering and with the burnt offering and all the people of the land and their meat offering and their drink offerings and sprinkle it uh, at all the blood of the burnt offering and all the blood of the sacrifice and the brazen altar shall be for me to inquire by. Okay. So what happened there? All those things they were supposed to be doing God's way, they moved God's way out of the way. He's doing it his way now. And oh, by the way, I'll keep the brazen altar just in case, and I can I can look into it if I need to. I can inquire about it if I need to. Boy, does that sound like a lot of a lot of religious unsaved people today. I'll do things my way. I'll burn all this. I'll do all these religious things upon my own altar of conscience rather than wholly and assuredly resting everything upon the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ. And oh, by the way, oh yes, I, I like the Bible. I'll, I'll look at the Bible. And whenever I want an answer of what I want to do, I'll, I'll look into the Bible and get assurance that I'm right. Thus did Uriah the priest, according to all the king Ahaz commanded. Just because you can get a priest to, to, to confirm what you're doing doesn't mean you're right. And King Ahaz cut off the borders of the bases and removed. Okay, so the 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 uh, the brazen altar was sitting on the backs of some oxen. So he cut those things off 
and removed the laver uh, from off them and took down the sea from the brazen oxen that were under it and put it uh, upon a pavement of stones. And the covert, or the, the, the porch canopy for the Sabbath that they had built in the house and the king's entry without, turned he from the house of the Lord for the king of Assyria. You get better understanding in Second Chronicles what that means. Basically shut down the temple is what he did. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaz, which he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And Ahaz slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. And Hezekiah, his son, reigned in his stead. Now, 2 Chronicles. It's going to be a little bit shorter of a reading. 2 Chronicles chapter 28 and verse number 16. At that time did King Ahaz send unto the kings of Assyria to help him. For again the Edomites had come and smitten Judah and carried away captives. The Philistines also had invaded the cities of the low country and of the south of Judah and had taken Bethshemesh and Ayalon and Gedaroth and Shoko with the villages thereof and Timnah with the villages thereof and Gimzo also and the villages thereof and they dwelt there. For the Lord brought Judah low because of Ahaz king of Israel. For he made Judah naked, exposed, open. And transgress sore against the Lord. And Tiglath Pelazar, king of Assyria, came unto him and distressed him. Wait a second, I thought we read that he helped him. It says that he distressed him. But strengthened him not. For Ahaz took away a portion out of the house of the Lord and out of the house of the king and of the princes and gave it unto the king of Assyria, but he helped him not. Wait a second. I thought Assyria came and, and helped him and drove him away and, 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 and kept back the Syrians and kept back the, the northern kingdom Israel. I, th I thought he did help him. This says that he didn't help him. Well, we're going to get some understanding here. And in the time of his distress, he did trespass yet more against the Lord. This is that King Ahaz. Sounds pretty serious, doesn't it? For he sacrificed unto the gods of Damascus, which he smote. And he said, because the gods of kings of Syria helped them, therefore will I sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him and of all Israel. And Ahaz gathered together the vessels of the house of God and cut in pieces the vessels of the house of God and shut up the doors of the house of the Lord, closed the temple. And he made him altars in every corner of Jerusalem. Of what? Well, those gods of Damascus. And in every several or, or independent, every individual city of Judah, he made high places to burn incense unto other gods and provoked uh, to anger the Lord God of his fathers. Now the rest of the acts of all his ways, first and last, behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And Ahaz slept with his fathers and they buried him in the city even in Jerusalem, note this, but they brought him not into the sepulchers of the kings of Israel. And Hezekiah, his son, reigned in his stead. The ruin of him. Well, it's the ruin of him and Israel, right? Now, when it says Israel, remember, Ahaz was the king in Judah, the southern kingdom. But when it says Israel, that's the, 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 unified, the unified kingdom there. Because they might have separated themselves, but they're always still the people of God. They're, even to this day, they're still the 12 tribes of Israel. 
ruin. That word ruin means to overthrow or it means bereavement, right? Ruin. Well, what led to the ruin of Ahaz? Well, you read it, you know it, and you're not going to be hit by any surprises by this message. It appears as though Ahaz is an unsaved person. There's nothing that we can read in either one of these texts that gives us any indication that he was a saved person at all. In 2 Kings chapter 16, we're not going to go back and reread all this stuff if you're taking notes. In 2 Kings chapter 16, verses 1, 2, and 3, it said that he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. He, he, he walked in the way of Jeroboam is what he did. And remember what Jeroboam did. He made, he, he made a religious fashion that was like unto the things that they were supposed to be doing. He was religious. They had their observances. They had their low men. He had his low man, Uriah, the high priest. He had everything going his way, just religious and, and just doing everything he wanted to do. He, he walked in such a way that it was evil in the eyes of the Lord. Wickedness. Well, every man by birth is living a life of ruin. None of us can unruin ourselves. Thank God for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He saves from ruin. He saves from overthrow, you see. He also, the, the neglect of the kings of Israel, he continued in the pattern of those kings. David told Solomon, and we studied this in our, in our men's study some time ago, in 1 Kings chapter 2, to basically be a man, to walk according to the counsel and the, and the judgments and the, and the commandments of the Lord, that you would honor him in everything you do and everywhere you go, that you trust the Lord and you do what he says. In 1 Kings chapter 9, the Lord came unto Solomon and says, Hey, look, if you walk after your dad, David, and do what he was doing, then there will not fail a king on the throne. If you don't, I will spoil you. 1 Kings chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. So in that... Here Ahaz, in addition to walking intentionally after sin, he is intentionally neglecting the charge that God had given the kings of Israel in walking in sin. He also added unto it. We read that in 1 Kings chapter 16, verses 3 and 4. In addition to following after uh, the, the, the pattern of those sinful kings, he added the sin of Molech. He offered his son under the fires of Molech. He sacrificed his child and thus led the nation to sacrifice their children. Again, 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 16, verses 3 and 4. He walked in the way of all the kings of Israel. Verse 4, and he sacrificed and burnt, excuse me, and uh, continue verse 3. And yea, he made his son to pass through the fire according to the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord cast out from before the children of Israel. So not only did he have a belief system, but he also had an active belief system. Okay. So something very interesting. An active belief system after the pattern of God Almighty promotes life. An active belief system following anything else promotes death. It promotes death. Somebody wants to be good enough, you'll never be good enough. You'll die in your sins. Somebody wants to do this enough or that enough, you read your Bible enough, search the scriptures for them. For in them you think you have eternal life. 
And there they was testify of me, the Lord Jesus Christ said. In this, in sacrificing unto Molech, it was a it was a, a religion of death. And simply the Lord had never commanded such a thing. Now, look in Jeremiah, if you would please, just for a moment, in chapter 19. He, he's compounding sin with sin with sin, and you see it comes to his ruin. Jeremiah chapter 19, and uh, we'll read verses 3 through 5. Jeremiah chapter 19, verses 3 through 5. They have built also high places, excuse me, 3, and, he, and say, Hear ye the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring evil upon this place, which whosoever heareth his ears shall tingle. Because they have forsaken me and have estranged this place, and have burned incense in it unto other gods. This is exactly what Ahaz did. Whom neither they nor their fathers have known, nor the kings of Judah, and have killed, or have filled this place with the blood of the innocents. They have built also the high places of Baal to burn their sons with fire for burnt offerings unto Baal, which I commanded not, nor spake it, neither came it into my mind. It was never, ever, 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 ever commanded by God Almighty to do such things. But here you have Ahab. Committed unto sacrificing even his own children. There's very little difference between that, I believe, and modern abortion practices. If there's any difference, it's subtle, very little. But this man is living a life of ruin. He's living a life of, of re- religiosity, but it's, but it's totally adverse to the things of God which he had declared unto his people. He, he promoted and lived a culture of death. He desired friendships and alliances with those that are, that are worldly and not that, that of the, of the king uh, 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 after godliness. See, what we can lose in this is when the whole, the whole issue is it was Syria and the northern kingdom that came. Why were they divided in the first place? Sin. Why wasn't there an attempt to... to Reconfederate with the northern kingdom. Sin. Molech, adding sin to sin. Now he's got these new affections. We read that in 2 Kings chapter 16, verses 5 through 8, and in 2 Chronicles chapter 28, verses 16 through 23. What were his new affections? Well, what, what led to the ruin, the overthrow, the bereavement of Ahaz? Well, his new affections. In these transgressions, Remember, Ahaz had made Israel naked. Remember saying that word naked, 2 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 19? It made him naked. It exposed him. Okay? You want to live a life of ruin? You see, when Adam and Eve, they were innocent. They were naked and not afraid. In sin, what did they do? They knew they were naked, and they immediately tried to clothe themselves. The Lord Jesus Christ was without, without sin, but even those priests and those wicked men by wicked men by wicked hands, when they tried to shame the Lord Jesus Christ, they stripped him down naked, didn't they? Christ had no shame naked. He was without sin, but it proved that they deep down knew that they were shamed in their nakedness. 
He made them naked or he made them exposed. To what? To false gods, to false religion, to false living, to false way of life, to death, to attack from their enemies. And on every angle, this man made Judah exposed. He made him naked. Well, that's a ruinous position to take in our living, isn't it? Well, that's Ahaz. That could never be me. Be careful we don't set up our own idols. And be careful we don't set up our own allegiances. Be careful we don't have our own particular affections that we would desire to ourselves in our transgressions that we don't expose. He had new affections in, in his transgressions. Ahaz replaced the Lord's instruments of worship. We read that. He took out the brazen altar. He set it aside, right? And he wanted to do things his way. He wanted to, he wanted to be religious and offer offerings, but he wanted to do it his way. It's possible for us to do that. If we, oh, uh, the gospel is so harsh. We shouldn't tell people to repent. That sounds so mean. We should just tell everybody God loves them. Well, that's now worshiping on the altar of self and conscience, isn't it? Isn't that worshiping now on the altar of pride? Oh, we must appeal to people's pride. We, we can't tell them that they're sinners. Be, be very careful that as sinners, as a sinner, I should be very careful that, that I, don't, I don't move the Lord's instrument of the gospel of salvation and move the Lord's instrument of Christ himself in his gospel and try to worship my way and think I can get things done my way and not expose, not expose myself for the prospect of chastisement. He should have been going to the Lord. Instead, instead of bringing his peace offerings and his, his drink offerings and his meat offerings and his blood offerings and all these things to the gods of everything else, he should have been turning his eyes unto the Lord. But he didn't. He was worshiping false gods but inquiring of the Lord just in case. 2 Kings chapter 16, verse 15. Oh, yes, I'll keep, I'll, I'll keep the, yes, I, I, I read the Bible and I'll keep the gospel over here just in case. It's amazing. It's amazing how many religious people have no desire to inquire of the Lord first and foremost in the front. Oh no, I'll read books and I'll I'll watch Oprah and I'll see different videos on YouTube and I'll I'll listen to a hundred different preachers that say what I want them to hear rather than acquiring of the Lord according to his gospel. You see, when we see when we see the brazen altar, what does that do? When we see the brazen altar, brass is a, is an element that always pictures judgment, okay? So when the brazen altar is first and foremost, what does that tell me? That tells me that God is holy and I am not and I deserve the judgment of God, but Christ got it instead. The substitution work of Jesus Christ according to his gospel. You know what that should do? That should humble me real quick. In our humility, in our, in, our, in, our, in our humility, seeing the gospel and the work of Christ first and foremost, he that spared not his own son, seeing that first and foremost, that should drive every other thing in our lives. But again, sometimes in our religion, in my religion, 
Sometimes we can take that and set it to the side and we just inquire by it and we rely on our religious steps instead, don't we? The brazen altar, again, was a picture of the sacrifice of Christ. He depended on everything but and removed the gospel from the forefront. If you take away, if you take away the Christ being judged for sin at Calvary, there being crucified, but judged of God, what, what do we have in the gospel? What is the good news? What should, what, why was he worshiping at all? if not for substitution of sin. You see, he was satisfying his own heart. He, he liked it, you see. And it was the ruin of him. That's what it says. It says it was the ruin of him. In, tra- in his transgressions, Ahaz went for help. But it says it helped him not. In Second Chronicles, in chapter 28, we read verses 20 through 22 to so refresh your memory. Chronicles chapter 28 Verses 20 through 22. And Tegelath-Pelnazar came, uh, king of Syria, came unto him and distressed him, but strengthened him not. He asked for help. It says in 2 Kings 16, verse 9. 2 Kings 16 and verse 9. It says, And the king of Assyria hearkened unto him, and the king of Syria went up against Damascus and took it and carried the people of it captive to Kerr and slew Rezin. That looks like it helped him. He helped him, didn't he? He took the money. He drove out the people. That was no help at all. That was no help at all. 28 verse 20. It says, he came unto him and distressed him. Why would we want, why would we think that we could get help from a lost and dying world? And why would they, why would we think we would and all want the help of those that are adverse to God. The Lord said he would be their strength and he would be their might. He would be their shield and buckler. He would be their champion. Now he's going to help for those that are ungodly of all these other, all these other gods and all these worship systems. Well, children of God, I want you to hear the ungodly help is no help at all. I mean, when you say it plainly, would you ever ask Satan for help? Do you ever call upon him for help for anything? Oh, I sure do need Satan's help right now. Well, it just sounds terrible, doesn't it? So why would you go to Satan's helpers for help? Why would we go to, to the, the, the evildoers of iniquity, the, those that, that are, are, are continue according to the course of this world, that, 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 are, that are ungodly? Why, why, would we, why would we go to them for help? Ungodly help is no help at all. Satan offered Jesus Christ three measures of ungodly help in Matthew chapter 4, didn't he, in that temptation. He offered him three measures of help. No. Ungodly help was no help at all. Did it, did it help Israel to learn and to lean on the ways of the Assyrians? Did that help them at all? I would encourage you in your own time to go read. We're in 2 Kings chapter 16. 2 Kings chapter 17 is one of the most heart-wrenching chapters in the entire Bible. It's the account of Assyria carrying away the northern kingdom and the Lord says, I sent messengers and I sent prophets and I told them to repent, but they hearkened not. 
Did it help Israel to learn the way of the heathen? No, the Lord told him, and we're studying through the book of Exodus. He's told them when you get in there, cast them out, that they'd be a snare to you otherwise. It didn't help Israel to learn and lean on to learn the way and to, to lean on the Assyrians. And it certainly doesn't help the child of God to learn and to lean on the pattern of this world. Instead of being a help, it was a distress to him. You ever you ever gotten something that was a, a present or a gift or maybe something at the time that seemed like it was a help to you, but in the long run it was a distress to you? That word distress means hostile or adversarial. It was, an, it was a thing that an enemy would do to an enemy. You can read through the Proverbs of a certain woman that seemed like she'd be a help to a young man, but in fact she brought great distress upon him. Distressed him. We ought to be vexed. As Lot was vexed in Sodom, we ought to be vexed by this present world, not feeling at ease and at help with it, not in alliance with it. He thought he was going to be getting strength from Assyria. Chapter, 2 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 20. And Tegelah king of Assyria, came unto him and distressed him, but strengthened him not. He thought he was getting strength. Hey, I need help, and they got, they got help. I need strength, and they got strength. I, I, they, I'm surrounded. I need liberation. I need them. I need help. He didn't strengthen him, but he weakened him. How did he do that? Again, he tempted Ahaz, and Ahaz took the bait of furthering under those gods. Again, not everything that seems helpful is helpful. Sometimes those things that you think is a help according to the course of this world is distressing and weakening. Does it be honest with yourself? When you're drawn out in sin, aren't you weakened? Yep. Certainly. It says in verse 21, helped him not. For Ahaz took away a portion out of the house of the Lord. He gave away godly things. Oh man, we're getting a pretty good recipe for how to how to ruin your life, aren't we? Gave away godly things out of the house of the Lord, out of the house of the king, and out of the princes he gave it unto the king of Assyria. You know, if you're going to have alliances and you want help with this world, you can't help but to give up godly things. You, you can't help it. When Peter, when he was asked if he knew the Lord... In his testimony, I don't know him. He gave up godly things. He started swearing at the same time, didn't he? Give up godly things. You're walking in light as he is light, 1 John chapter 1, and then start walking in darkness. You, you've got to give up that light to go walk in darkness, don't you? You can't walk in light and darkness at the same time. There's, by the laws of physics, you can't do that. You've got to give up holy things. And he did that. And it says it helped him not. It will never help you to give up godly things. It will never help you to entrust and help in this present world. This world bringing its distress and bringing its weakness, it will never help you. And that word help in verse 21, it says he helped him not. He secured him or assisted him not. It is of no good or value. Oh, he thought he was doing the right thing.
also, I could we could say it robbed him, but he wasn't robbed. He gave it away. He he gave away spiritual treasures and godly treasures. In a here and now sense, we can give away spiritual treasures and blessings, and you know what? Even eternal blessings and treasures. What do you mean? You know, if we start, there's some things a child of God they can't. You can't lose your salvation. I'm not saying that. And you can't. You cannot lose your salvation. But the more a child of God lives in their sin, the more wood, hay, and stubble they're going to have. The less gold, silver, precious stones they're going to have, and at that judgment, the less they're going to have to glorify God and at the reward seat, and all will be cast at His feet, the Lord's feet. The less blessings they will have eternally to cast the feet of God. Well, I wouldn't say that, that's no help, right? If the whole aim of a child of God is to eternally glorify God, is giving away godly things and adhering to sinful things, is that a help to that goal? Does that assist you in the goal of glorifying God? Absolutely not. So he robbed himself, we could say, of spiritual treasures and godly treasures. Again, I don't believe Ahaz was a safe person. In transgression, he trespassed more. In 2 Chronicles chapter 28, verses 22 through 25, he trespassed more. At the time of his distress, he trespassed yet more against the Lord. This is that King Ahaz. For he sacrificed unto the gods of Damascus, which smote him, and said, Because the gods of the kings of Syria help me, therefore will I sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him of all and of all Israel. Wait a second. I thought they helped him. Here it says they smote him. I thought they helped him. I thought they helped him. Here it says it distressed him. You know, sometimes... Sometimes we don't always perceive that the things that we're doing are hurting us rather than helping us, do we? If we knew that they were hurting us and they were a distress to us and they were smiting us and ruining us and destroying us, we probably wouldn't do them. That's the problem with all this old sinful heart. It's desperately wicked, isn't it? Who can know it? Well, how in the world can we know what to do? Well, the Lord had his system in place, and Ahaz removed the Lord's system and started doing things his way. The more we do things our way, the further we get away from his way, because by nature, every one of us is at enmity with God. Thank God the Spirit of God does lead us in things of righteousness. It's no good that it's in our flesh, no good in my flesh if I do anything good. But you see how you see how these things can happen so rapidly. Oh, we think we're doing right, we think we're doing good, and the things we're doing are a distress and a hindrance and a smiting and a ruin to us. In Second Kings it appears that they won, but in Second Chronicles chapter twenty eight, he was smitten, and these gods were his ruin. Verse twenty four, and Ahaz gathered together the vessels of the house of God and cut in pieces the vessels of the house of of God and shut up the doors of the house of the Lord and he made him altars in every corner of Jerusalem and in every several or independent uh, city of Judah he made high places to burn incense and unto other gods and provoked to 
to anger the Lord God of his fathers. These other gods were his room. And that's how it's been from the very beginning. You want to you be, you'll be like God. You'll be like God if you just disobey him, desiring to worship self, Adam ate. Right? It has always been the ruin of mankind to search after anything other than God Almighty and fellowship with him according to his goodness, his mercy, and his grace. It has always been the ruin of man. That's, that's what the fall is, is the, is the ruin, the bereavement, the downfall, the overthrow of mankind according to sin. These gods were his room. He worshipped them because he thought that he had advantage with them. Adam and Eve thought they would have advantage by sinning against God and making themselves gods. Brought ruin, didn't it? He also shut the doors of the temple and opened up pagan temples in every city. That's a selfish move, wasn't it? You know, if he didn't want to go to the temple, he could have just not gone to the temple. Why has he got to prevent anyone else from going? That's evil. It was the ruin of him and of Israel. But what was that temple? Remember what Solomon prayed way back in 1 Kings. And you can read in, in, in 1 Kings, Solomon, when they were coronating the temple, he gave all these different scenarios. When there's drought, when there's famine, and when your people have sinned, and when they're carried away, and all these different scenarios. And even the Gentiles, when they look unto this place and call upon thee, you will hear from heaven and what? Forgive. And he shut the doors. He cut the stuff up and he shut the doors to it. He detested the picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He detested. In, in these affections, he died doing, thinking he had done the right thing. Otherwise, he would have changed, wouldn't he? And there's no mention of repentance here. He died thinking he had done the right thing. And everybody obviously knew he hadn't because he was buried, but not in the sepulcher of the king's. Apparently, everyone but Ahaz knew that he, would, that he had taken sin to a whole new level and he was wrong. The ruin of Israel. In 2 Kings chapter 16, remember he started paying the Assyrians. He gave them gold and silver and the treasures and all that stuff from the temple. Now in 2 Kings, look if you would, just a, a portion of 2 Kings chapter 17... Now that that precedent is set that the king was going to pay the Assyrians. 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. And in the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah, began Hoshea, uh, Asha, Joshua, the son of Elah, to reign in Samaria over Israel nine years. And he did that which is evil in the sight of the Lord, but not as the kings of Israel that were before him. Against him came up Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, and Hoshea became his servant and gave him presents. Well, now the king of Assyria thinks, okay, well, if this is how we do things, y'all are going to keep paying me. Verse 4, And the king of Assyria found conspiracy in Hosea, Joshua, Asha, for he had sent messengers to So, king of Egypt, and brought no present to the king of Assyria, as he had done year by year. Therefore the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison. Oh, man. Because of his affections, he thought, he thought 
he had done the right thing. Now he sets everybody else up that they have to follow his pattern or suffer consequences because they quit paying. The king of Assyria came to the northern tribe and carried them away. Now they're in bondage, verses 5 and 6. Then the king of Assyria came up throughout all the land and went up to Samaria and besieged it three years. And in the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria took Samaria and carried away Israel, the Assyrian, and placed them in Hala and in Habor by the river of Gozen and in the cities of the Medes. Verse 18. Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them out of his sight. There was none left but the tribe of Judah only. Verse 23. Until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he had said by all his servants, the prophets, so was Israel carried away out of, his, out of their own land to Assyria unto this day. So Ahaz, in a bind, thinking he's doing the right thing, super religious, thinks that he's going to be able to pay his way out and strike an alliance with this world. And in doing so, he sees the gods of this world. He's allured unto them, starts worshiping them, sets the things of God aside, even bars the door, prevents anyone else from worshiping, and thinks he's doing quite all right, dying comfortably in his sins, and yet in full disgrace. Who wants to live the life of Ahaz? That sounds like a life of ruin, doesn't it? It just sounds like a terrible life. What are we supposed to learn from this? It may seem like the world is winning. You know, you can look out and see. As we leave out of here later on, you can drive by. just parking lot's full and everybody's just doing okay. And Oh yeah, they're in the Christmas spirit. See, it might seem like the world is winning. It may seem that we must join in with the world and to win or to grow or to expand or do well or have protections. It might seem that way sometimes. It might seem tempting to give away godly things for security. Brother White, just a few of y'all here just a couple years ago, it might have felt tempting to give a cup, give away a couple ancient landmarks. Just to have just just to have a little bit of victory, just protection against attrition, just a little bit of security. Will this thing go on? It might seem tempting sometimes to give away godly things. It might seem tempting to bring in worldly things for security also. You know what? If we had a live band and a smoke machine and a, a drink, a coffee bar in the back, and, and did all these other things, maybe maybe we, we could bring some things in that can lure people in. Things like what the world have, maybe we can bring those things in, then we'll have success. He brought in the, thing, the gods of Damascus and Molech and kept the things of Jeroboam. He thought he was going to have success. Well, these are the ones that helped us. I'm going to worship them. It might seem tempting. It may seem that we need extra help. You know what? You know, things aren't going how I want them to do. I need to, I need to go out and find a, a businessman and get a better business model. Maybe it's because, maybe it's because of, of this or that or the other. And I, and I, need, to, I need to focus on, on humanism and allurement and, and, and trying, to, trying to get people in. You know what? 
we found out that it, that it wasn't because of our sign that people aren't coming in. I, I think we have a very nice sign. Yeah. It might be t- seem that we need extra help. But you know what? That help might be no help at all. It may seem that we need extra strength, but that extra strength would actually be a weakness. It may seem that we need extra comforts. He thought whenever he was surrounded by the Syrians and by Israel that they were in distress. So they needed comfort, so he, he petitioned for the king of Assyria, right? Come bring us comfort and liberate us from our distress. But when he came, he actually brought distress. That's what it says. He, he distressed him. We might think that we want to be more comfortable. So we employ things that bring distress to us. It may seem that we need a new way of doing things. Maybe if, we, maybe if we're not so upfront with the holiness and judgment of God upon sinners. Maybe if we move that aside a little bit. And then when the time is right, then we'll inquire of it. But no, let's let's get all the fun stuff and make everybody feel good first. Then we'll sneak attack them with the gospel. Maybe if we maybe if we move things from God's way and do it our way. Maybe maybe if we do have a new way of doing things, then 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 we'll be all right. It may seem that Ahaz and his politicking. He politicked a life of prosperity, right? Oh, okay, well, because he negotiated with the king of Ahaz and not overthrown, well, he he was a glorious king and he saved Israel from spoil. Did he really? It says that this was the ruin, it says in 2 Chronicles, that these were the ruin of him and of all Israel. How much did he help them? Sounds like he ruined them. It may seem that Ahaz politicked a life of prosperity, but he brought ruin to himself. We should learn the lesson of Ahaz. How quickly can it bring ruin? How quickly? First John concludes, he says, Beloved, keep yourself from idols. What's an idol? It's a false representation of deity. And that's what this whole thing is all about, is idolatry. A false representation of who God is and who he says he is and who he says people are and his expectation of worship. It may seem that Ahaz politicked a bright future for the Jews. Oh, yes, he spared them from an overthrow. But it it says that he brought ruin or overthrow upon them. We should learn the lesson. You can read through those churches in the book of Revelation and the warnings that they have. One church was mostly dead. Another church lost its first love on the, on the verge of losing its candlestick. Another church had uh, a woman who was teaching and the Lord threatened her life and her children who followed after her. They, oh man, I'm sure those churches just thought they were sound before they re- received those letters. Another church said, uh, you're lukewarm. I word that you were hot or cold. You're nothing. Repent and be zealous. It might seem that we have a bright future doing things our way. What's the future of the Lord's assembly guaranteed upon? Lo, 
I am with you, Jesus Christ said. Look exactly, I want you to put your eyes on it, look exactly to the words of what he said. Can't separate this stuff, Matthew 28, verse 20. Teaching them to observe, you can just 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 wing it, just figure it out, you know, and 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 you can do it. However, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Man, is God loving? Yes, He is. Is He direct? Yes, He is. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. He's saying this to his local assembly, but he has not guaranteed every local assembly perpetuity until the end. There are churches that simply die out. Why? Because they do not observe all things whatsoever he has commanded. I know providentially the Lord has declared all those things from the end from the beginning. The end from the beginning. Why does a church lose its candlestick? Don't blame God for that. That ruin, that bereavement, that overthrow, that that burning out. Maybe it's because people just politic themselves and they finagle themselves and they, they religiosity themselves in such a way that they're not even a church anymore. That's the Lord's business, removing candlesticks. I don't do that. It's not for me to say, but I know the Lord doesn't. You know, Ahaz thought he was doing some really great things for Israel. Oh, man, I, I, man, I, I preserved the kingdom. Did you really? Sounds like you ruined it. They would have been better off turning to the Lord in all of this than turning to Assyria and turning to these gods and to those gods and to Ahaz's best judgments and anything else. It may seem perhaps at times that the Lord has forsaken his promises. We're human beings. He's not. The Jews, the Jews have been in a place where they feel like the Lord has forsaken his promises for centuries. In the passages, 2 Kings 16, 2 Chronicles 28, they were in a place under the leadership of Ahaz, where they thought that the Lord had forsaken his promises. Maybe those in the Lord's churches feel the same way, that the Lord has forsaken his promises. We just read Matthew 28. It might seem tempting to think, you know what, this can't be right. We need to compromise. We need to get the holiness out. We can't speak of repentance. We need more people and... We need more, if we need more people, how do, how do we attract the world? Even seeking worldly advice and helps. It may seem tempting to do that. Based on this pattern, do you think it would be a good thing or a bad thing to do those? It would be bad, it would be real bad. Would you want a church full of unsaved people? Talk about a mess. Now what are you going to do? It may seem tempting to lose heart in the heat of circumstances. 
when the enemy's surrounded, when the battle seems hot, when the day seems long, when our abilities seem to fail, when we feel like we have no other options, it may seem right and tempting to tweak a thing or two rather than doing what sort of things he's commanded, trusting that he'll be with his people until the end. Such has been the ruin of many children of God. 1 John chapter 5 says there is a sin unto death. That sounds like ruin, doesn't it? <laughs> Would not pray for it. It's overthrow. It, that is overthrow. That's bereavement. That's sorrow. That's painful. In James, look at how the book of James concludes. James chapter 5. In verse 19, brethren, if any do err from the truth, James chapter 5, verse 19, brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, if, if, if somebody's living a life of ruin and the Spirit of God moving among the brethren of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, one convert him, draw him to repentance, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death. Isn't I don't save souls, but there is a sin unto death. And he shall hide a multitude of sins, shall rescue a man from ruin, shall rescue a woman from ruin. Oh, but so many children of God have ruined, not lost their salvation, but had a life of ruin because they turned from the Lord. They heed not his ways. They trust their own heart. In circumstances, they wing it, and they do what's pleasing unto themselves. It says that it was the ruin of him and of all Israel. Yeah. I don't have a nation under me. You know, if I start preaching perversity, that's on me, and I could, I could ruin a whole bunch of people's lives. And if I start per preaching perversity, and y'all don't stop me, Right, well, now you're accomplice to that error. So please be eager hearers, but also skilled hearers. It's not just about the individual. We can lead others to ruin as well. It's awful tempting when I get my little feelings hurt to try to pull others in my direction too, isn't it? That's how we are. We're social creatures. We like to. Misery loves company. Y'all ever heard that saying before? People love to have sympathizers. Be careful you don't lead others in ruin. But such has also been the, the, the case, the ruin of many churches losing their candlestick because they want to bring in this, they want to bring in that. Oh, the holidays are so much fun. We need to do this and do that. It's not hurting anybody. It's not hurting anything. Well, this is what it means to me. Ruin. And before you know it, a couple of generations go by and you don't... You have, where'd y'all put the brazen altar? What, what, what? Wasn't it supposed to be in the forefront? You see? Ruin. Children of God, just a show of hands. Anybody want to desire to live a life? After hearing this, he's like, man, Ahaz, he, that's the life I want to live. Anybody want to do that? That's, that's an absurd question, I know. We should guard against ruin then. Because, you know, this ruin, again, Ahaz, he 
no doubt he died thinking he, he was doing the right thing. And that's how people do. They die thinking they're doing the right thing. We should guard against ruin. We should guard against the ruin of ourselves. How? The gospel. That brazen altar. Because you know what happened after the brazen altar? Then that priest would go into the holiest of all and present that blood there upon the Ark of the Testimony. And that's a picture in Christ's sufferings that the plea of Christ himself making intercession for his people be presentable, presentable before God. You move that brazen altar, there is no presentation before God. You move that brazen altar, you forget how sinful you really were. You move that brazen altar, you forget about how wonderful the gospel of Jesus Christ is. You want to live a life of, of ruin? Just move the brazen altar. Put something else in its place. Ball games, satisfactions, recreations, feelings, whatever. You put something in the place of the brazen altar and worship upon that. That's what Ahaz did. He also, as he brought ruin to the nation, we should guard against ruin of our church community. How do we do that? If you see my foot, my pinky toe, starting to make a way toward anything else but Jesus Christ and Him crucified, with all love and tenderness and all kindness, you stop me. And I'll do the same. Ruin. Keep your heart steadfast in trusting in the Lord. There's a whole bunch of going on here and not once that Ahaz has it ever recorded that he sought the, it, it says he inquired of the Lord, but that was a secondary issue after he'd already poured out all his religion and elsewhere. Yeah. It was a trinket. Keep your heart steadfast on the work of Jesus Christ moving forward that way, following after him. I assure you from the word of God that even victory with unholy alliances is defeat, distress, and ruin. Again, would you think it would be a ruinous thing or a victorious thing to ally with Satan? Well, how about one of his ministers? How about one of his children or servants? It would bring ruin of self. It would be ruin, bring ruin to those around you. Well, how does one guard against ruin? How could... How could Ahaz have guarded against ruin of himself and against Israel? Wild guess, trust the Lord and do what he says. He did none of that. He did none of that. Children of God, I would encourage you to seek the Lord. Seek him early and often, all day, every day, morning, noon, and night. That you'd follow after him. That you would not make a league with this world or the things of it. That you would not give up holy things when you think you, that it would be your preservation or help. That you would not bring in outside influences into, into your own realm or into the, the, the church of the living God. Thinking that Jesus Christ needs, needs those means when he's promised by his own mouth that he would be with us until the end of the age. Turn of God, just trust the Lord. In a modern phrasing, 
He's got this. Okay? If you ever forget, just whatever time of day, go outside and look up. If you can see the sun, boom. Verification. God's still burning up there. He's still burning that sun. If it's night, Brother Adam, look at the stars. Wonderful. The Creator, yeah. He, he left those things in the sky to verify. He did create. It's overcast. Thank God He won't flood the earth again. <laughs> you know? Give praise unto the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Be assured of Him. Every single day that goes by, the sun rests and it comes up the next day. Every single day, there's a verification. There's a sign in the sky the death, burial, and resurrection of the Son. Trust the Lord. Times are hard. The way seems long. The, 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 day, the day seems hard. It might seem so easy to give in, give up, to compromise, which could bring to ruin. Do, thing, do whatsoever he has commanded, trusting that he will be with his people. That's what he said in Matthew 28. Sinner, you're on the path to ruin. The only thing between you and ultimate ruin is time. Okay? Tick, tick, tick. You trust in false gods. Primarily, you trust in yourself. You live as though everything is okay, and that's exactly what Ahaz did. Oh, but I go to church. Oh, yes, I inquire of the Lord over here. How many people do that? Religiously unsaved. Oh yes, I inquire of the Lord. Oh yes, I I have several Bibles. Oh yes, I I I, I know Him. You lean into things that you will think will carry you through, but they just won't. He Ahaz leaned into the alliance with Syria and for those helps, and he 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 leaned into giving away. He he, he leaned into into his religion, didn't he? Oh, he had so many sacrifices and offerings that are listed. It's very religious. I wanted to just hear just for a second what the Lord Jesus Christ spoke about ruin in the book of Luke chapter six. Luke chapter six. Ruin. Luke chapter 6, verse 47 through 49. Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He was like a man which built a house and digged deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the, the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently upon the house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth. Both men have houses against which the stream did beat vehemently. Both of them had opposition, didn't they? And immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. What's the difference? Well, it's the same difference that Ahaz had. Very religious. I might even think he was thoughtful. Thoughtful in a sinful way, but he was a deliberately thoughtful man. You can't build a house and not know what you're doing. It, it seems like the person in verse 49 here in Luke 6 is a thoughtful person. But they ended in ruin. Why? Because their foundation is on the sand. Ruin. Distress. Bereavement. Overthrown. 
Why was Ahaz ruined? Because it looks like he was building on the sand, don't it? And he took the things of the rock and put them aside because he really liked that beachfront property on the sand. Sinner, I would encourage you to find that foundation and no other foundation for your soul. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Unless your heart and soul is completely dependent upon him, and that by the power of God, you will end in ruin. It says the word of God. You build upon the sand. I would encourage you to repent. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Have no satisfaction in anything else other than being built on the rock. That is Jesus Christ himself. We sing that song. I'm on the rock at last, at last. I'm on the rock at last. You're not on the rock. You're on the sand. Except you repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ on the sand, you shall die in ruin. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.